Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum. And in this episode, we're going to hear from the fantastic, fabulous, formidable John Boudreaux. John is the Research Director for USC's Center for Effectiveness Organizations, Professor of Management and Organization at the Marshall School of Business, and author of Reinventing Jobs. His large-scale studies and focused field research addresses the future of the global human resources profession, HR measurement and analytics, decision-based HR, executive mobility, HR information systems, organizational staffing, and development. John has published more than 50 books, in fact, and articles, and his research has been featured in Harvard Business Review, the Wall Street Journal, Fortune, and the Business Week. What a famous, awesome guy. John, welcome to the show today. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you very much, Bill. It's a beautiful, flowery introduction. Um, uh, I'm saying hello to you today from northern New Mexico, where it's uh, somewhat early in the morning, uh, almost uh, eight in the morning. So beautiful, sunny day. Nice to be Ded- here. Dedication indeed, Get, getting up before eight to do this interview. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so beyond my wee introduction there, John, why don't you start by telling our listeners a bit more about yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm actually um, um, Professor Emeritus at this point, having recently retired my professorship at USC and, uh, and remain affiliated with the Center for Effective Organizations. Uh, my, it's been a, almost exactly 40 years this fall since I walked on the stage as a professor at Cornell University and was there for 22 years. Uh, very privileged during that period to be at a place that had a great deal of activity from uh, heads of HR for some of the most uh, some of the biggest companies in the world who recruited there, um, and then um, and then of course the last 15 years at USC in the business school teaching uh, MBA students about these these things called human resources, people, and the future of work. So in a nutshell, my career has been a absolutely uh, magical and fortunate opportunity to be connected with so many of the people that you featured on your podcast and privileged to have them be generous enough with their ideas that once in a while uh, I'm able to say something unique, uh, but mostly draw on them. So it's a pleasure to be now with you and have you join that list. We'll be right back after this quick message from today's sponsor. Congratulations. After extensive research and interviews, you found the right applicant to fill your open position. They had a perfect resume professional attitude. But are you sure they are who they say they are? Did you know that 22% of candidates lie on their resume? At Mintz, we believe better safe than sorry. Check us out at mintzglobalscreening.com. Uh, just before we hit record, you and I were talking a little bit about the division of responsibilities these days in the HR departments, particularly at the senior level. You get you see officers these days because traditional CHR rows roles have perhaps been filled by those with uh, non-HR backgrounds, in fact, and and maybe more data analytics backgrounds. And we're going to get into that conversation in in a little bit. But before we get there, what what do you think makes for a great senior HR leader? Let's not call them a CHRO for the purposes of our follow-up question. So a a senior, maybe a C-level HR leader in in today's digital world. Well, I think, um, of course, we're seeing the rise of... um, 
you know, there, there, I think there remain m most of the traditional things. Um, when Pete Ramstead and I wrote Beyond HR years ago, we talked about uh, value propositions built around compliance and control, you know, uh, staying out of trouble following the rules, et cetera. Another value proposition being the delivery of great services, which is kind of basically uh, running the department, but also um, offering things that your constituents say they want. Uh, and then we also talked about uh, being uh, being kind of the holder of the decision science about people, and in that sense, teaching leaders and workers and others how to make great decisions about human capital. Um, and so I would say all of those value propositions remain. Uh, I would say organizations are generally not good as good as I'd like about distinguishing them, and you often see a lot of confusion about what is the CHRO and what is the HR because people aren't talking in a straightforward way about those three things and what the relative balance should be. If we, if we add to that, I would say increasingly, I think, and, and for, the, for probably the foreseeable future, uh, curiosity and ability to deal with uncertainty um, and, uh, and, uh, and a strong understanding and a framework about how the function of HR collaborates across other functions like IT, legal, et cetera. And that goes way beyond the CHRO's relationship with the leadership team and is almost much more pivotally determined by the strength and the capability of people in HR to work across functions. Um, if I look at the great CHROs that I know, there's also a kind of theme about risk-taking and about being able to speak truth to power, even when that jeopardizes potentially their position. Um, so in a nutshell, my test of whether I've got a great CHRO is, is not within the HR function, but talking to leaders, managers, workers, and others about their own models for how they make decisions about people, HR, human capital. And if I get great answers from them that are pretty sophisticated, then I'd say the HR organization's doing its job. And if I get pretty naive answers, uh, based on bright, shiny objects or very simplistic ideas about people, then I'd say maybe we've got some work to do. Okay, then I will try and avoid any bright, shiny, obvious statements in, in today's <laughs> interview. I, 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 I cannot guarantee that because you know much more than I do, but I will do my best. Um, hey, follow-up question for you then. Uh, a, a while back, you wrote an article called Why More Executives Should Consider Becoming a CHRO. Um, but okay, here's here's the big but. Things things have changed in the last eighteen months. People have people have been working from home. A lot of people got laid off, and then, and then they went uh, freelancer or they became a consultant. With, with more possibilities, John, than ever for for execs to exit corporate life and get gig work, if you like, mm -hmm. uh, with with global clients. Why should execs in larger organisations stay in the system and aspire to the role of of a senior HR leader? Well, thanks. That you know that article was written with uh, my very good colleague David Creelman, with whom I've written a lot of things, including Lead the Work, um, which was about this evolution toward non-employment arrangements. Um, and then Peter Navin, also uh, a former CHRO who came through uh, kind of uh, an, let's say a non-traditional or non-functional path. And in that article, we made the case that executives that arrive at the CHRO role with deep experience in other functions uh, will bring things like a, a deeper business awareness, uh, a willingness to push rather than just serve their leaders. Again, that idea of risk-taking, speaking truth to power, uh, because many other functions have that kind of um, stature. 
uh, and, and a willingness to embrace risk as an opportunity rather than simply to uh, define their role as reducing risk. Um, I think one of the things that, that CHROs who come in from other disciplines uh, can do, or really any HR leader who comes in from another discipline, is that they should they should really bring their frameworks from that other discipline, whether it's portfolio theory uh, from finance or uh, you know consumer analytics from marketing. Uh, all those things have have value in being applied to HR. I, I call it retooling HR to to ask how would HR look if we fit it into one of those frameworks. Um, so, so, so that's that's kind of number one. Is is the you know I I wrote a subsequent article where I said you know let's go out to the best and brightest, as uh, in 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 college and whether that's engineers or storytellers or something like that and say look think about what you want to do with your life and consider doing it in the world of work because we certainly need better engineering, better architecture, better storytelling, and many of those other disciplines have frameworks that are extremely well developed. And when you retool them to apply to work and people, uh, I think you end up often with very interesting and uh, unusual, unusual conclusions. Um, and then there's this question of gig work. Um, and I think you're right. You know what? I mean, the, the book Lead the Work was written about the increasing um, movement. This is way pre-COVID. The increasing movement toward employment being only one of many ways that you can engage talent. Um, you know, I'd say, and we wrote in that book, that there are, are particular characteristics of a gig, uh, you know, whether it's a contractor or an ongoing consultant. Uh, there are certainly platforms where you can bring in an HR executive for a gig or for a short term. You can also bring in a, a CFO, a CIO for that kind of thing. Um, and, and I think that, that when the work is properly organized to be done that way, there's a there's certainly a great deal of opportunity there. Um, I think being a CHRO the way it's defined now uh, is probably a pretty powerful platform to create real change. So there's a there's an incentive to be inside as a CHRO. The COVID has elevated the 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 visibility of HR, the stature of HR. Again, my hope is that we don't squander that capability, but that we actually see that lasting. Uh, HR gets to weigh in on, on important matters to workers and society now. And so an inside role is the sort of role that um, often requires being embedded in the organization, I'd say, the CHRO role. Um, it, it, so as much as I'm a fan of thinking creatively beyond employment, I would say that, that a good deal of the role of the CHRO is often one that would benefit by being inside. Um, that's not to say that there aren't really good projects, probably more than we'd say, uh, contracts, projects, et cetera, that can be done through non-employment. Um, and, and of course, on the supply side, we see, you know, just based on the demographics, we see an increasing group of former CHROs, you know, basically because of the baby boom and that kind of thing. And there's just people of a certain age these days that are, that are switching to a new role. And some of the most terrific CHROs I know are now out and available, potentially for something like gig work. So it's an interesting question. Um, I'd say you probably want a CHRO who's inside, but I'd also say that you want to be sure you think creatively about that work and, and consider very carefully what could be done by someone from the outside as well. Okay, super. Now and let's let's kind of switch that focus now and, and do do the reverse. And that's um let, let let's talk about uh 
staying staying in the system um uh, working for the man john so to speak um and and, and um what, what are and what are the potential career paths for junior or mid-level hr folk so i'd, I'd love to get your 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 response to what you think the the divisions of responsibilities are between let's call them chros and and uh, what i mean by that is certainly in larger organizations today a lot of chros did not have hr backgrounds they came from data analytics backgrounds but uh, versus say people officers which is perhaps the more the mentorship side folk who are perhaps um more involved with um the internal communications, but also projecting the employer brand. So for, for those listening and, and keen to explore the, the data versus people roots into senior HR leadership, what, what do you think are the differences in, in those focuses and, and those duties? So it's a, it's a really interesting observation, Bill, uh, about you know the, the sources of CHROs these days. I think there has always been, um, there's always been uh, a, uh, I guess I'll say a tendency or a trend where you could look at CHROs and you could say, what discipline are they coming from? Even traditional ones. So for example, for a long time when I was beginning my career in the eighties uh, and, and certainly just before that, the main, uh, the main path to CHRO was often a legal one and, and, and often one that was, was defined by negotiating with um, you know, in that, in, in the U S anyway, labor unions. And so you saw a lot of, of lawyers that had, had moved up to the role of CHRO, and that was because the pivotal thing that they did was often, uh, often had to do with laws and contracts and that sort of thing. Um, and I think over the years, we've, we've kind of seen evolutions of what is the main outside discipline that we might draw on. And I would say you, you may very well be right that in, in the latest, you know, with the, with the explosion of of real and potential data about people who work, um, this this idea that we need a stronger understanding of data analytics is probably driving some of the hiring and and selection of CHROs. Um, so so uh, so you you make an interesting contrast between something we might call a people officer that might be involved more with what we might call the human side of things. Uh, some would maybe say even the softer side of things, as you said, mentorship. The, the integration of the of the let's call it the employment brand I'd prefer maybe the work brand um, and 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 the um, uh, and the brand of the organization uh, things like culture I know you had my good friend and colleague Kevin Oakes on just recently to talk about uh, his book on culture um, and maybe that's different from data um, so on the one hand we can make a contrast and I would say that some of the things that you've mentioned may lend themselves um, not so much to a kind of um, analytics, it is analytics, but not so much a kind of IT analytics, but more, um, more something like marketing, um, uh, where, where we kind of recognize a little bit more of the softness of the, of the individual. We recognize that there will be uncertainty and we kind of focus on kind of human reactions to, to, a, uh, to an interaction or to a, a relationship. On the other hand, I think um, my own view is that we're probably going to have data, data about almost everything. And so, this, the, so I think in truth, the analytics part of HR is going to quickly blend with the people part because there will be a great deal of data available on things like mentorship, brand, culture, et cetera. Um, and, and, it's, and, and so they'll, they'll need to be a kind of combination. 
of human and data, and I think everyone talks about that. We did a, an interesting project with my good colleague Ian Ziskin and uh, Carolyn Rerick about five or seven years ago where a number of CHROs asked us to put together uh, some to put together kind of an innovation lab and they called upon their protégés and others to join teams. And one of the teams was thinking about what are the future job descriptions in HR. And uh, one of them was, you know, so one of them had a lot to do with data. However, it needed to be expanded to have to do with data, storytelling, and actually teaching. And so the idea that the data analytics will not be finished until you have engaged the audience and they leave with what I would say is an improved decision framework to go and do something different because of the data where you correct important errors and, and you correct things that make a difference. So in their view, the data analytics part blended very quickly with a very humanistic element of storytelling, engagement, et cetera, and the measure of analytics would be something like I've described. I mean, the, the, you know, the standard measurement of whether information is valuable is whether it improves something that makes a difference, in a sense, whether it corrects mistakes that would have been made. Uh, and that requires humanistic engagement. And then on the other side, they talked a lot, for example, about the combination of the brand of the company and the brand in its work relationships, and that increasingly you're going to need someone that can see both of those. And to me, that sounds like someone who might come through somewhere like marketing um, and would, would understand branding and then bring that over to the HR part. So, so I think it's, you know, I, I think that this is a wonderful time in HR for people that are coming up. And part of that wonder is that I'm hoping that the function doesn't get too precious about what's inside and what's outside but is very open to the idea of blending these things when it makes sense and literally rewriting uh, the job descriptions. So, and not again, being too, not being too tied to the job descriptions of something like a people officer versus a CHRO or the data analytics folks versus the folks that work on softer stuff, perhaps like mentorship, brand and culture. Um, so it's a, it's a very interesting question. Uh, and for me, I think the, I suppose the final conclusion is I think we're going to see data mixed in with many, many things that we might not have thought could be database before. So your analysts are going to be right at the shoulder of your humanists. And, uh, and I think that the exciting part is seeing the, the integration of those two. Wonderful. Thank you very much. John, I've got so many more questions for you, but I've only got two more minutes until I have to jump. So um, one more question for you but, but before we do wrap up for today, and, and that's how can how can our listeners connect with you? Maybe that's LinkedIn, maybe your email address, maybe you're super cool and you're on TikTok. Um, and how can they learn more about all the cool <laughs> things that you get up to? Well, thank you. I must say I don't yet have a, a lot of TikTok videos out there, so they'll be disappointed. <laughs> perhaps to learn that. It's pretty traditional, I think. Thank you, Bill. Uh, I would say watch my personal website, which is drjohnboudreau.com, like drjohnboudreau.com. Uh, try to keep that pretty up to date and upload links to things like this terrific webcast, et cetera. And then also the website for the uh, Center for Effective Organizations at the University of Southern California. And since Center for Effective Organizations is CEO, uh, that, that would be found by typing in CEO.USC for University of Southern California.edu for education. So CEO.USC.edu and drjohnboudreau.com would give you a pretty good picture of what I'm working on and what I'm doing. Thanks, Bill. Fantastic. So that just leaves me to say for today, 
Dr. John Boudreau, thank you so much for being my guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Thanks, Bill. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.